0: It's good to see more and more of you coming back to worship. We uh, have a large, large crowd over in the auditorium as well, so it's great to be back together. A child of the 70s, you know, I've always associated Morning is Broken with Cat Stevens on my greatest Cat Stevens hit, right, uh, album. And uh, But while was, they were playing this earth, I, I Googled it. And it actually was written in 1931 as an English hymn, so it kind of burst my bubble. I was giving Cat Stevens all the credit, but he just, he just copied it from a hymn. So all good, right? Well, we're talking about the garden this morning. We are visiting parts of the Bible that maybe we haven't been in for a while or revisiting um, the, the, or visiting the Bible for the first time. And it is my prayer this morning that God's morning will break in your life, that, that his sun will shine in your heart, maybe for the first time ever, or the first time in a long time. Now, Lynn and I began our romance uh, in a garden our first official date uh, many years ago, 40 some years ago, in the beautiful Brook Green Gardens in Georgetown, South Carolina. And this past April, we went back for a visit to Brook Green Gardens, and uh, it looked like this uh, when we first drove in 40 plus years ago. It was in Brook Green Garden that I had my first warm potato salad because, you know, Lynn made a picnic. And and I asked her, how are you going to keep the potato salad cold? She says, we don't eat cold potato salad in South Carolina. We eat warm potato salad. So it began a whole change of all of my eating habits uh, for the rest of my life. But it began right there. And what we noticed about Brook Green Gardens as we went back to visit is we recognized some of the sculptures. Uh, We saw some new work, but we also noticed the, the decay. The wear and tear of 45 years of going through the storms of life. And that's what's going on in our world today, right? We live in a world that is full of decay. i talked about it in my sermon last week that we live in a broken world, that creation is teetering uh, because of decay and because of sin and all the issues that we'll talk about today. The Bible begins and ends in a garden. The Bible begins in a garden. The Bible ends in a garden. And somewhere in the middle of the Bible is a very important garden we'll talk about. You know, God bringing order out of chaos in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis through his awesome power, through his awesome presence. A garden with no scarcity, a garden with no conflict, a garden with no corruption, a garden with no decay, a garden with no pain, and a garden with no death. If you're able able today, would you stand as you read together from God's word from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life and that... Is what happened. Somebody say amen to that. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, making, marking the sixth day. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, may we experience your creative power today in our lives and where there is decay, and where there is brokenness, may you bring life and restoration. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. As you look at this road trip through the Bible, we begin in the Garden of Eden. And we can learn many things from the Garden of Eden. First is resemblance you and I were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. We were given the very nature of God's DNA in our, in our body, in our, in our chemistry, in our soul, and in our psyche. We are made in the image of God, and how far we've drifted in our world from being made in the image of God. Now, I had to look this word up. The sermon team gave me this word, a doppelganger, right? It's a unrelated look alike a, a a double a living person that's a twin they say we have a twin right somewhere in the world there's somebody that looks like you well there are a few times in publics that people have said to me that hey are you Tom Izzo right this guy right Tom Izzo the coach at Michigan State so I get this it must be when I wear the visor or something and and they they, they say Tom Izzo I'm not really keen on that picture um you know, I don't, I don't see it myself personally, um, but uh, Tommy Izzo is a famous coach at Michigan State University that Kentucky has lost to a few times. But anyway, um, but once when I was on a mission trip and some folks came up to me in some third world country and, and they said, I look like this guy. Now, I, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of I like that, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, um, I can live with that. You know, as Brad Pitt is my twin. Um, Lynn kind of likes that better too. But uh, anyway, but in the ancient world, kings and rulers could not be everywhere at once. So they erected statues of themselves to remind everyone that they were still the king. And so you, you would go down the street and there would be a statue of the king. He, he was still on the throne. And then they made statues of idols that were re- erected to remind people that, that there were these created gods that were somehow present in the world reminders, resemblances. But if we read closely in scripture, we know that God gave this edict that you may worship no other God than me. You shall not make yourself any idols, no images of animals, birds, or fish. You must never bow or worship it in any way for I, the Lord your God, am very possessive and I will not share your affection with any other God. Yet God made us in his image but he wants us to build no images of God. I'll let that sink in for a little bit as we live in a world that puts people up on pedestals and and, and worships people in our culture. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means, I think, simply that you and I are called to represent God and to reveal God to people who don't know who God is. So when people look at you and look at me, they are to see glimpses of God himself in us. In fact, we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ so that people can see Jesus Christ in us, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And we struggle with that. We struggle walking in the image of God. But that is the calling that God has placed on all of our lives and given to us in the Garden of Eden. And when we struggle exactly what that looks like, we look to the New Testament and we see that Jesus is the true image of God. And in Jesus, we see that he got it exactly right. And Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so as we lift up Jesus Christ, as we try to model his example through the power of God's spirit, we are in the image of God. I love these words that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter one. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. Christ existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth and the things we can see and the things we can't see. The spirit world with his kings and his kingdoms, its rulers and authorities, all were made by Christ for his own use and glory. He was before all else began and it is his power. It is his power. It is his power that holds everything together. Now, I want you to hear that this morning. If you're living in fear and being intimidated by a broken world, that the world is somehow gonna spin out of control, it will only spin out of control when Christ says it's gonna spin out of control because he holds the whole world in his hand. And that is the God that we serve. We don't fear people who, who seek to destroy this world. We only fear God who can destroy the soul, right? So we trust in God who is the creator of all things. And so with this image in the garden, this, this resemblance of God comes responsibility that we are to be his image and take responsibility. I love this definition of the image of God, the royal office or calling of human beings as God's representatives in the world. It's a royal office to be God's representatives in the world. And with that comes responsibilities because being made in the image of God means we too are called to bring chaos, order out of chaos, right? To bring order chaos into order and light into darkness. That's our responsibility, to bring order into chaos. And and there's a lot of chaos in our world today, is there not? And it is up to you as God's representatives to use God's creative power to bring order to the chaos. In Psalm 8, we read these words, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them of glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. If you are here today, a follower of God, follower of Jesus Christ, God has put all things under your authority. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have the capacity, the God-given capacity to bless the earth. Do you get that responsibility? God has given you, through the Holy Spirit, the capacity to bless the earth with goodness, to bless the earth with generosity. We stand before God one day, He'll say to us, What did you do with the goodness I bestowed upon you? What did you do with the generosity I poured into your life? We've been given the capacity to love, capacity to show mercy. Capacity to practice justice and compassion and through the Holy Spirit holiness. In an unholy world, we are to represent the holy God. It's an awesome responsibility that was given to creation in the Garden of Eden. We represent God with the words that we speak. That you and I have the words to speak life or we can speak death. We can condemn or we can lift someone up. The words that we speak, do they represent God in your life? We represent God through our families and how we love each other. We represent God in living out His will for marriage. We represent God in the way we work. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that work is a result of sin. Work was going on in the garden long before sin entered the picture because God had given Adam and Eve a garden to cultivate And cultivation, we know, takes some work. It takes some sweat. It takes some effort. And we honor God. We resemble God. We represent God with our work. Work existed before the fall. We represent God with our Christian service when we tell others about Christ in our actions and our words. And we represent God when we serve in a civic way. We need, I said in my sermon a couple weeks ago, that we need godly men and women to get involved in civic government. Do we not? There's enough chaos out there. And as Christians, we're called to bring order to chaos. And God will give our leaders wisdom and guidance to make better decisions so that we can live at peace with one another and get along with each other. That is what it means to represent God. Wesley, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said, the world is my parish, not... Lexington is my parish, not Lexington County is my parish, not South Carolina is my parish. The world is my parish. And what does he mean by that? He means that we are to provide a Christian influence for the whole world. The whole world. Jesus said, go and make disciples of the whole world. Not just your immediate area, not just your neighborhood, not just to your friends, not to your coworkers, but to the whole world. Because God gave us dominion, God gave us authority over creation. So you and I are called to care for all that God has made. We are called to shape and develop creation and make the most of it for his glory. But too oftentimes we relinquish our responsibility and let those who think they know what they're doing run the show. And how's that working for us? Not real well, right? And we, we are called to step into the fray and step into the chaos and with God's help bring order and bring his holiness to the world. So resemblance, responsibility, and then we see that God wants us to have relationship. You know, as we read the great... Uh, opening narrative there from Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Who, who's us? Who is us? In creation, it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why we are in a Trinitarian church. We believe in the Trinity. God was not alone in creating, God was in relationship in creating. We serve a God of relationship. God made you and I for relationships and God desires a personal relationship with you. If you're going through life in isolation, if you're going through life all by yourself, if you're doing your own thing in life, you've missed the whole reason that you're put on the planet. You're put on the planet to be in relationship with almighty God, the creator of the world. Job seven says this, what is man that you magnify him and that you are concerned about him? That you examine him every morning and try him every moment. Do you know? Did you know that God is examining our lives every morning? Every morning, we look at our phone and we look at our calendar and we look at our schedule. We look at our to-do list and we think, "Oh, this is my day." God's looking at you and going, "What are you going to do for me this day? This is the day that I have given you. This is the breath I've given you to breathe. What are you going to do for me today?" Why is God interested in you? Is it to control your life? Is it to discipline your life? God loves you. And God wants to be in fellowship with you. He wants a personal, close relationship with you and me. He wants you to invite him into your day. You know, and God is about relationship, a personal relationship with his people. And God recognized it is not good for us to be alone, so he made us male and female. He established relationship. He established a definition for marriage. In defining marriage, Jesus refers back to the garden, the garden of Eden, when he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We live in a world that wants to redefine the creation and redefine what God has clearly established. Us for relationship, and between a male and a female is a definition. I believe a biblical marriage. It's a debate right now in the church of all places. God's word is clear from the beginning. It's about relationship that He designed. Now, in the Garden of Eden, we know most of us know the story if we've been to the Garden of Eden in Scripture before. But if you've never been there, you'll know that in the midst of enjoying God's creation, there was an interruption, and there was an insurrection. There was an interruption, and there was an insurrection. In Genesis 3, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? How many of you heard somebody whisper that in your ear? Did God really say? Did God really mean it that way? <laughs> I get that all the time. I don't, I'm not sure that's what God really meant. Well, I'm going to take it pretty literal, right? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? That seems kind of foolish. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. See, God was establishing boundaries in the garden. That there were things that were good for the people and there were things bad for the people. And what is What is the lie? The serpent says you, you, you won't die. That's, that's, don't believe that stuff. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. What is the great sin of our world is we want to be God. We want to call the shots. This is my stuff. This is my day. This is my time. This is my talent. This is my whatever. I, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, it's not. It's God's. Everything that we have in this world is not ours. It's God's. And just, I'm doing a couple funerals. funerals. Uh, do, we're doing two funerals today in the church. I'm headed to do a funeral lately. And there will be no, you know, moving van, you know, at the graveside. Right? We're going we're gonna to depart with nothing. We came to this world with nothing. We'll leave with nothing. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. (laughs) She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now we understand this teaching here if you remember back as children or as parents to small children or now grandparents, or if you're a child here today and listening to these words, you know, there are things that your parents say, that's not good for you. That's not going to be a good thing to do. That, that will bring you harm and that will bring you danger. And yet what is the tendency of all of us as children? We want to do it our way. Have we got to find out we got to get burned. We got to get hurt. We've got to get sometimes crushed and defeated it's the same continuation so i want to talk for a moment about adam's two sins i'm not going to talk about eve's sins i'm gonna let lynn she's gonna come up and preach on that one morning and talk about eve's sins but i can speak about adam's sin i, I understand adam's sins and the, the lord laid this on my heart this morning or this week i never thought about it this way before so thank you lord for giving me a new insight is it, adam's first mistake was this he loved his wife more than he loved obeying God. He loved his wife more than he loved obeying God. Nothing wrong with loving your wife, nothing wrong with loving your family, but if we are loving our spouses more than we're loving God, it's not what God intends. Scripture is clear, and Jesus confirmed, and he says the greatest commandment is what? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor As yourself. Today, I believe the besetting sin, which is rampant in our society and rampant in our world, began in the garden. That we've reversed that commandment. We make loving people more important than loving and obeying God. We are too afraid of being canceled or crushed by people that were willing to risk disobeying God. And disobeying God has become our are besetting sin because we are so concerned about getting it right with people. Now, we're called to love people for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But if you read throughout scripture is we're told to put nothing in our life in front of God, that God loves us and we're to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. First John says it this way, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. When you love these things and love these situations and love these people more than you love God, you show that you really don't love God. They are from this evil world itself. They are not from God. So my friends, let me just challenge us. If we're gonna live in the beauty of God's creation is we cannot elevate our love for people or the culture over our obedience to God. And when we truly obey God, we will love the way God wants us to love. You know, and, and part of that is loving people enough to point out where they are disobeying God in their own life. You know, I want, to love, I want people to love me enough to come to me and say, Jeff, I think you're stepping out of where God's will for your life is. Not to just say, well, you know, I don't want to offend Pastor Jeff because, you know, he's the pastor, you know. You know No, we need people to tell us the truth because they love us. Now, that's his first sin. What is his second sin? (laughs) Very simply, he didn't crush the serpent. He didn't crush the serpent. He was given dominion in the garden. He was given authority in the garden, and he didn't crush the serpent. He gave up his dominion to be dominated by evil. We live in a world that's being dominated by evil because we gave up our dominion. We've given up our authority. Adam was to steward the garden for God, but he allowed the serpent to steal the garden. How much of God's glory has been stolen by a serpent who wants to steal the glory of God? I'm amazed at the people in our world today who we elevate up on pedestals. I will try not to go on a tangent here too much. But we see Christian people who are celebrities who want to give God the glory, and they're, they're condemned in our world today because you're not supposed to give God the glory. You're supposed to take all the glory for yourself, but not give God any glory at all. That's the world we live in. We've got to recapture the authority of Almighty God. We've got to recapture our, our dominion that God has given to those of us who believe in Him. Don't make those two mistakes. And then we fast forward, if we could, to the middle of the Bible and the Garden of Gethsemane. Can I take you there for a moment? Mark 14, they went to the olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. He was crushed with grief to the point of death. Why? What was he crushed about? The sins of the world were weighing down upon Jesus. The brokenness, the decay of our world. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. What was the awful hour awaiting him? It was the cross where Jesus Christ would go and suffer and die for the sins of the world. Abba, Father, he cried, Everything is possible with you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not my will. I want your will to be done and not my will. You see, in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, Adam in essence prayed, Father, not thy will, but my will. Not my will, but her will. But he did not pray for God's will to be done. In, in the Gethsemane Garden, Jesus actually prayed, not my will, Father, be done, but thy will be done. So I asked us the question this morning, whose example are you following? Are you following the example of Adam who prayed, not thy will, God, my way? Or will you follow the example of Jesus who prayed, not my way, Father, but thy way? And look at the difference of the outcome of the two gardens. It's incredible the difference in the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. I love the movie, The Passion of Christ, where Mel Gibson depicts the Garden of Gethsemane scene. If you've seen the movie, I think it's one of the most powerful moments ever captured on film. It captures the reality of our situation because as Jesus is praying, in the garden in this film there's a serpent that is crawling beneath the feet of Jesus as he kneels there praying for God's will to be done not his will to be done and as he stands from praying when he's has given his full surrender to God then he crushes the serpent he crushes the serpent he didn't play with the serpent he didn't he didn't tolerate the serpent He crushed the serpent as an indication what would happen on the cross. You see, Jesus did what Adam was unwilling to do. And it changed everything for the whole world. In the Garden of Eden, there was resistance to God's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there was redemption, which was God's will. The work of Christ was to redeem the world through the cross Jesus undid the damage done in Eden to anyone here today who will believe in him. You want to experience freedom from the damage done in the Garden of Eden? Believe in Jesus. Invite Jesus Christ into your life and begin to pray, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. See, Jesus was able to turn around the insurrection in the Garden of Eden with resurrection in the Garden of the empty tomb Jesus was able to take the desperation that went into the Garden of Eden following the sin of Adam and Eve and the sins of the world and turn it into restoration. I know there are people listening today that feel a sense of desperation because your world, your garden is spinning out of control. But Jesus Christ wants to bring to you restoration that he gave to us in the Garden of Gethsemane. I said at the beginning of my sermon that the Bible starts in a garden and the Bible ends in a garden. The garden of the new Eden, Revelation 22. Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, not once a year, but every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing Of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. See, in the end of the Bible, God remains committed to his creation. God remains committed to his people. Our God has not given up on his creation. Our God has not given up on you and his people. God will dwell with his people. We will be invited to rule and reign with God. Aren't you glad about that? We will serve God in a new kingdom and a new earth. You know, this idea that heaven's going to be like floating around on a cloud, I want to do that for a little while. But, uh, you know, that's going to get kind of boring after a while, right? You know, maybe you, you you do some cloud jumping, you know, and cloud surfing and all that. But then what else is there to do, right? I believe we will rule and reign with God. I believe that we'll be serving God in in, in wonderful ways. Those who are faithful in little things, Jesus said, will be made faithful in great things, ruling and reigning with God in the new Eden. There will be no more death. Those who have suffered oppression and injustice, God will wipe away their tears. There will be no more mourning, no more pain, no more pettiness. Somebody say amen to that. No drama. Amen, right? No drama. Well, I guess, anyway, don't get me there. Um, No more lies, no cemeteries, no hospitals, no psychiatric wards, no disease, no dementia. The new earth will be a place of peace. There'll be no more curse. The curse of sin will be broken. And somebody say amen to that, right? See, God is not through yet. And God is not through with you yet. Now, while we await the Garden of the New Eden, I believe we, we, we dwell in the Garden of Decision. We've all got a decision to make. We toil in a land of thistles and weeds, praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. We're not where we will be one day, amen? But what are we called to do? We're called to cast the vision of God's new creation by our words, our worship, our witness, and our work. We're to cast a vision to the weak, to the poor, and those who do not know the love of God. As you wait in the garden of decision, evil has been defeated, but evil has not been eradicated. And we need to learn from the mistakes that Adam made. I will tell you, and you know this, don't be blindsided by evil, expect evil. You will encounter evil this afternoon. Don't be blindsided by it, don't be tricked by it, don't be be swept up in it, escape evil. And church, hear me when I say this. We've got to expose evil. Be willing to expose evil for evil. Shane Bishop, a pastor said this this week, and I said, this is so good. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's what's happened throughout the culture and the world. Sin will always beg to be tolerated. Wasn't that what the temptation was all about? Just, it's okay. Just, just, it's, just tolerate just listen to me. It, you won't get any trouble for eating from that tree. But sin that will always beg to be tolerated will ask then to be accepted and then demand to be celebrated. We live in a world that celebrates sin and demeans righteousness. That's what sin does. So expose evil and exceed evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, I'll tell you this, and you know this. Many of you know this from experience. If we follow Adam, we will compromise God's purpose for our life and live a life of regret. Our whole life will be a life of regret because we followed the way of Adam. But if we follow Jesus and trust in God's word, even if it costs us something, we know God will make it well worth the sacrifice. A little bit later this afternoon, I'll be in Timminsville, celebrating the 95 year life of Annie Joe Watford. And she lived well, she represented God well, and she finished well. We'll celebrate her life as a life well lived. Maybe this morning you find yourself in a garden overrun by weeds and briars. You're being overwhelmed by the garden you're in, the world you're in. Maybe it's full of confusion and corrosion, rebellion and desperation. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, they rebelled against God. They set in motion evil and corruption. What did God do? Did God abandon them? No, if you read the text, God went looking for him. And in in early in the morning, he went walking in the garden like he always walked in the garden. And what did they do? They hid from God. Maybe today you're here and you're hiding from God. You're here, but you're hiding from God. You built up this wall, this barrier. And God wants to walk with you and God wants to talk with you and God wants to minister to you we're gonna take a few minutes this morning and Emma's gonna come up here with me. Last week, we had a powerful time of, of healing and deliverance in our services. In the auditorium, I had a young woman come up to my healing prayer, prayer station. She was tattooed up and she had uh, on a toboggan, which they call a beanie, I guess, today. Her name was Sam. And she said, I came this morning for the very first time because this is where my therapist comes to church. But she said, you know, I've been away from God for a long time. And today I need, I need to find God in my life. I need to be healed spiritually. And we prayed there together and she invited Jesus to restore her to a right relationship. And when she stood up, she had tears in her eyes because she had found what she was searching for. Today, I want to give a moment A time for you to come and Emma to pray with you, me to pray with you, so that we can allow God to move. I said in my sermon last week, and I want to say it again to you, we've got to create space for God to do signs and wonders so that stories will be told that produce salvation. Are you willing to give God some space for him to do a sign, or wonder in your life that will give you a story that will result in someone's salvation? So I want to pray and if you, Father the Lord, speak into your heart and we'll be here, I'll be here and we'll pray with you. I cut out a whole paragraph from my sermon so we could do this. The Holy Spirit cut it out for you. I don't know who you are, but he said leave that out. Father God, move in our midst this morning. Move in our hearts this morning. And as we surrender our hearts to you, whether it's while we're seated there or when we come here just to be prayed for. The Bible tells us to, to come and Let people lay hands on us and pray over us for deliverance, for healing, for forgiveness, for new life. May that happen now in Jesus' name, amen. So as your heads are bowed, as the music plays softly, if God is leading you to come and be prayed for, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're going to come and pray for someone else, someone you've been praying for for a long time. God hears that prayer as well.